More than half of all companies globally are family-owned or operated. Family businesses contribute 70% of the world's GDP and account for 65% of jobs. Their voices are important. Their stories must be told. Brought to you by the award-winning publication, Tharavat Magazine. This is the Family Business Voice with your host, Ramya Elagami. Kodiak Cakes and the long, passionate game to entrepreneurial success. The story of Joel Clark, CEO of Kodiak Cakes, is a story of perseverance. From the age of eight, Joel was knocking on doors to sell individual bags of his mother's all-natural healthy pancake batter. As he grew older, he dreamt of his side business to become a success. It would take many, many years of hard work to achieve this goal. We had the opportunity to talk to Joel Clark about his modest beginnings, transformative growth, and the benefits of employee ownership in the family business. Enjoy this episode with Joel. So great of you to take the time to do this. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. No, I'm glad, glad we could connect. So if you wouldn't mind just telling us a little bit more about the story yeah. of how you guys came to be, that would be amazing. Sure. Yeah. So Kodiak Cakes really goes back to about 1982 when I was eight years old. My mom, who always wanted to sell her pancake recipe, made these little homemade lunch sacks full of pancake ingredients. And she hand wrote on these bags how to make the product, how to make the pancakes. And then we loaded up my little red wagon and I went around the neighborhood and sold these little homemade pancake mixes. And so that was really the early days of Kodiak Cakes. And, and just a bit more background there, my mom was I guess what I would call a natural foods pioneer, especially for that time. It's funny because, you know, natural foods were what everything used to be. And then in the, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, especially in America, man, we just started eating a bunch of junk and everything became processed and refined. And my mom never believed in that. And she was always into whole grains and, and everything that we ate was real and lots of fruits and vegetables. And she ground her own wheat she had this pancake um, recipe that we loved. It was really, really good. And so that's really the early days of Kodiak Cakes was when I went and sold these little homemade mixes. So we didn't keep going with it at that time. But it was in the mid-90s when my older brother, John, he wanted to start a business. And he was talking to my mom one day. And he's like, hey, I want to start a company. And my mom said, why don't you do something with the pancakes? Why don't you make a real product out of that and go sell it? And uh, he loved the idea because he was also into healthy eating and he was into being fit and and so he's like, I love it. So he created the brand Kodiak Cakes and the first product and then asked me to help him start selling it. And I was 21 at the time, and this was in 1995. And uh, we went around and started selling this one little product we had. And we started in ski towns where we, we felt like there'd be a little bit more money. We could go to gift shops and where there's tourism. And so we started in Park City, Utah, which is where we're based now. And then we went to Sun Valley, Idaho and Jackson, Wyoming. And we started getting people to buy this, these gift shops. John kept running the company just at night on the side mm-hmm. while he was um, working another job, trying to work his way into a few grocery stores. And then at the end of 1997, he came to me and he said, Hey, Joel, I'm done with Kodiak cake. I can't keep doing it on the side anymore. He's like, I want to go back to graduate school and get my MBA. He's like, and I, I just, I need to be done. So he's like, if you want it, it's all yours. If not, I'm going to shut this thing down and you know call it a day. So I said, yeah, I want to do it. And I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I really, you know, that was my goal too. And so I, uh, I took it over and I was 23 and I was still a university student. 
at the University of Utah. And I took this little pancake company on and I did it at night. And I soon realized that it was going to be a pretty tough, long haul. And I actually did it on the side for about seven years. During that time, I was able to go back and get my MBA. And I hired a student to run it while I was gone. And then I came back, just kind of kept plugging away. And then finally in 2004 is when I quit my job and jumped in with two feet into Kodiak Cakes full time. That's a very entrepreneurial approach. So not at all your sort of like typical founding story. So this was really a side hustle for a really oh, long time. Yeah. And so how how was like the um, the dialogue at home though? So what did your what did your mom say throughout this whole story? Like did she did she keep on encouraging you? Was it like emotional pressure at the same time driving yeah. forward? Or that's a really really good question because you're right. There was a huge emotional attachment to it, and that can be good and bad, right? Because that could make you too subjective about it. And so maybe you're not thinking objectively enough. So you might just hang in there on something that wasn't going to work, you know? Mm -hmm. And I remember being really worried about that. I was very conscious about that very thing. But my mom was very supportive the whole time. I mean, she believed in it, but yet she was practical. She was never at all like, oh, you need to stay in this thing. You know, you, you got to keep going because this is my, re you know, this is my recipe. Or it was never like that at okay. all. It was really more just, hey, I, I think you can do it. You know, there's really a niche for this out there. But then also my wife was really supportive too. And that was what was very helpful because mm -hmm. I think she would have said, Joel, you got to quit chasing this dream, you know, just go get a job. Like, let's, let's move on. I would have done that. I mean, I definitely yeah. would have done that. But luckily she kept believing in it too. So yes, it was the family ties, but I almost quit so many times, by the way. Yeah. I mean, so many times I almost quit. And I'd go home from doing this and I'd talk to my wife and I'd be like, I got to stop doing this. I got to stop chasing this dream. You know, I'm going to find myself 55 years old and nothing to show for myself. I just chased a dream all those years, you know? So I remember being really worried about that. But there was one thing that really did also keep me in it. And that, those were the letters that we'd get from our customers. Hmm. So people would write in and they'd say, hey, this is the best pancake mix I've ever had. And by the way, I love that it's healthy. So that was kind of like, hey, it tastes amazing and it's good for me. And so you know, we really accomplished what my brother set out to do, which was he wanted to create a product that, that tasted awesome, that anybody would love, even if they didn't like whole grains, for example. And that was healthy and it was easy to make where you just had to add water. When you, when you see Kodiak Cakes, like the way you guys talk about the brand, the way you guys go about communicating around the, the product, you talk about a food revolution. It's, it's like a movement almost that you're part of. So when mm -hmm. did that sort of like shift happen in your perception of from running a business to being part of something much bigger? It took a long time, honestly. And I, I wanted it to be that way. Like in the beginning, we did feel like we're doing something totally different. And we're selling something that's healthy. And everything else in the pancake category was just full of junk. You know, empty mm -hmm. calories, refined white flour and sugar and just you know, not a lot of substance there. So for a long time, we wanted and, and hoped that it would become a revolution. But what happened is that the trends were not in our favor for so long. And so we felt like we were kind of beating a dead horse mm -hmm. and, and not really getting anywhere. And by the way, it took us 15 years to hit a million dollars in revenue, if you can believe that. Wow. So by, you know, all logic, I should have quit years ago. I, I never should have kept going. <laughs> I mean, but it finally kind of started to happen. And where, where we started to really feel like, okay, we are part of a real food revolution, I would say, is in 2012 to 2014. Those were really two critical years for us where we, we started to finally innovate, come up with some innovations that took off. And our biggest inflection year was 2014. 
And what happened in that year is two big things. We went on Shark Tank and that became just a big exposure boost for us and for our brand. We didn't end up doing a deal on that show, but we got a lot of publicity out of it. And so that really brought awareness to the brand and at Target specifically where we were selling a lot. But then two months after that show aired, we launched Power Cakes, which is our high protein pancake mix. And we really led the market with, you know, kind of a mainstream food product with protein that took off like crazy. And so that's really where the brand just started growing exponentially. And we grew the whole category because people who were not buying pancake mix in the past started buying power cakes. It's always so interesting to talk to the the founding entrepreneur behind the business because you've seen this business go through so many different stages, right? Like, so growing from a side hustle to something that you do full-time, it's a big difference. Then going from something that you're doing full-time at small scale to actually scaling up and bringing out that product that will get you to that significant size. On your personal journey, like, how did you look at your own leadership in the company? Like, what did you do in order to grow Mm -hmm. alongside the business or ahead of the business to take it to that next level? When I think about my own personal journey, I think that what you talk about just now is in how did I scale or how did I grow and develop myself along with the business? And that is something that is not talked about enough for just entrepreneurship in general. So my journey was from 1997 when I took this thing over to I'll even say to 2016. That was kind of just an entrepreneurial experience during almost all those years. I was running a small business. It finally started to grow a little bit in, you know, between 2012 and 2015, we really started to finally grow. But in 2014, 2015, that's where we really started to see exponential growth. And then in 2016, we finally brought on a private equity partner and brought on some capital into the business. And so at that time, that's when we had a board of directors now, and we had to really build a professional management team. Mm -hmm. And so I'd say since that time, that's where I had to really grow the most. And I had to make the transition from being a small business owner to now being a CEO. That's a big jump. For me, it it was hard because it became a new set of leadership skills that I didn't really have. I had never really managed a full fledged leadership team, you know, who had industry experience. And and now having to have a few more processes in place for management and accountability and now building culture and vision. And so, you know, when you're small, those things kind of just come naturally. You kind of can take those things for granted a little bit. And then once you really grow, now you have to really be thinking about culture, like, mm-hmm. like define it, not just some concepts that you have in your mind, but you've got to write it down. So, you know, I think that's definitely been one of our success factors here at Kodiak Cakes setting us up for long-term growth. So I think, you know, my mind then became more aware of how do I build culture? Mm-hmm. How do I think about vision for the company and mission for the company, accountability for the team, and then team growth. So my focus has become a lot more on people, you know, and then less on just hands-on day-to-day management of stuff. What I find very interesting about your case here is that, so as a founder, especially when there's a strong family spirit behind it. Still, you call Kodiak Cakes today a family business at the same time, right? You still talk about it in that way. Mm -hmm. So that notion of ownership is always very, it's a very strong factor. It belongs to us. We want it to last for generations to come and it should be in the family. And so you go against the grain of all of that conventional wisdom from involving the private equity angle to allowing employees to become owners. So I feel like what would be super interesting 
would be to understand your definition of ownership, really, and how it sort of translates into what you've done with Kodiak Cakes, especially recently in 2017, when you decided to open ownership to employees. So I had been running Kodiak Cakes for so long. And I think when we first started out, we really did have this dream of, hey, we let's keep this family business forever. And maybe our kids could take this over at some point and, you know, all that. But what happened, I think, as the years went on, um, I wasn't sure if if that exactly was going to be the right strategy. Mm-hmm. And, and I started to see maybe the complications that people go through as they start bringing more and more family into it. And how do you transition that to the next generation? Mm-hmm. Not only that, but I started to also realize that I needed more people. I needed more talent mm-hmm. and ability to attract more people. And so I started to think, well, maybe we don't necessarily want or need Kodiak Cakes to go into the next generation. Maybe that's mm-hmm. not exactly what we want to do. And I also felt like so, uh, you know, this need to grow and scale quickly because of the competition and to stay ahead. And that's another reason why we brought on private equity capital. I mean, could we have done it without, you know, it's possible, Mm -hmm. but I think it would have taken us longer. And I think we would have been more exposed to our competitors. Mm -hmm. So I felt the need to bring on some capital to give us the resources so we could grow faster and stay ahead of our competition. And you're right, that does sort of change it a little bit. That, that becomes a little bit different than let's pass this on to the next generation. So while we do have a lot of family still involved in terms of ownership, they aren't really involved in the day-to-day. My brother still has ownership. My, my dad actually helped me. I didn't talk about this, but my dad helped me from 2004 to 2008. When I first quit my job, he jumped in and helped me. So the two of us side-by-side worked together uh, for almost five years. And he was 65 when he started out of retirement and helped me. And so my brother gave my dad a bunch of his shares because my dad earned that through sweat equity. And the way that it worked out in terms of all of our ownership split, I think has been really healthy and been awesome. But um, you're right. The reality of what we're going to do is we're not going to transition this as a family business to the next generation. I think we brought in equity We allowed our employees to earn some equity in the company too. And we did that because we felt like we wanted everybody to be an owner, to share in some of the upside that they're creating. But it's also like behavioral, you know, you care a lot more about something you own part of. Yeah, you talk about that in that very interesting LinkedIn article that you wrote about the reasons why it's actually a good idea to allow employees Mm -hmm. to, to earn equity. Because, you know, Joel, what I really love about your story, and I'll be very frank with you, it's not every day that you hear a family consciously saying like, this might not be the business that we carry on for generations to come. And it requires leaving your ego at the door because who doesn't want to create like this legacy business? I just love the fact that you at the right time seem to have shed that idea. But when it comes to this, like how it actually works, because I do know that many family businesses do consider this. And we've, we've heard, especially coming out of the US, a few family owned companies actually taking this approach of uh, earning mm. equity. Maybe if you can tell us about those five factors that you identified or that you sort of like speak about in your article that make it a good idea. Every business situation is different. You know, kind of like you said, some people really do want to create that legacy that lasts forever. You know, some people really do want to do that. And that, that's what they're all about. And, and that can work, you know, and, and that's great. And I think, so I don't want to talk about this as if the way that we did yeah, it I, is for everybody. I want to share my perspective so I can kind of talk about why I felt this way. And when I wrote this article about why you should give equity, I had read another article about why you shouldn't. And Mm -hmm. so I kind of countered it. It was for me kind of always a dream to be able to give some equity to everybody. And the reason why is because I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to own something. 
And I felt like, man, if I were an employee, I still would want to be an entrepreneur somehow. Everybody, lots of people want to have some sort of entrepreneurial experience. So if you can just own something, then you kind of can fill that need to be an entrepreneur a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so um, as I went through this article, the first thing the guy said is, you might feel pressure to sell the company if you have equity. And I sort of felt like, no, that's, that's actually okay. Because if you have that sort of pressure, then people are going to want to build a great business. Mm -hmm. People have come and said, Joel, this business is going great. I don't want to sell too early. Then the next one is kind of a, a loss of privacy they talk about. So if you give equity, be careful about how transparent then you have to be. I totally disagreed with that. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because I already, and Cameron, he's my COO and he's become a co-founder to me. He and I talk about this all the time. We have always believed in being super transparent because what happens is that's motivating anyway. Information is motivation. I always say that. And so the more information that people have, the more motivated they get. So the more transparent that you can be, people love it. And, and it gives them more purpose in what their work is. And so to me, that was not a downside. We were already being transparent. Uh, the next one was a, a loss of tax write-offs. Okay, now this one was really interesting because there are a lot of business owners who use their business for all kinds of weird tax write-offs. They'll buy this or that. They'll buy a house somewhere and, or they'll go on 20 trips a year and, and they'll figure out how to write those trips off. And I just, I never went down that road ever because I felt like, if I started making self-serving decisions with my business, then that clouds my judgment. And I never wanted to do that. I wanted to build a business that was going to stick around for 50 years, you know, and, mm -hmm. and that was going to be, it was going to do things the right way the whole time for everybody involved, not just me. Okay. Then the next one is employees can be squeamish. And so this is basically saying some people would prefer to just collect a paycheck today and not have to worry about your company's future. Okay, that's a false reality, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you're just an employee and you're going to work and you don't want to know how the company's actually really doing, you just want to collect a paycheck, then that's the wrong kind of employee for your business. That type of employee, where, where are you going to go? What I'm looking for and what I think you know, most business owners are looking for are people who want to jump in and do their job as if they own a part. So for me, it was like, well, then let them own a part. They really will do their job that way. And so I'm looking for people who really care. And then when things are not going as well, guess what? They're not running away. They're helping you shoulder that burden and get through those. The last one was dilution. The article was basically saying, look, you, if you give ownership to somebody else, then you're going to dilute your own ownership. And you're the one that took the risk to start and build the company. So you deserve the lion's share of the rewards. I just don't believe in that at all. Like, to me, there is no such thing as a self-made man or woman. That concept does not exist. The only reason Kodiak Cakes is here today and where it is is because we surround ourselves with amazing people who were able to compensate where, I, where I've been weak or where any of our other leadership team has been weak. And so I learned pretty early on that, man, I'm never going to be able to do this thing alone. I got to get some really awesome people in here. And how do I keep them? And how do I make them excited? And, and so for me, it was like, if I dilute myself to give away some equity to somebody else, well, my theory is that the pie will grow bigger. And so I'm going to end up with more and so, you know, the real reason I wanted to do it is because I wanted to be able to share in the upside. And I did want people to genuinely have some upside in a company. And if that meant mine was a little less, I was still okay with that. But I really do believe that my upside will be greater than it ever would have been had I not done this. To me, I think there's a lot of real reasons to give equity out. The bigger question though, is back to what you originally asked is like, are you planning to keep it forever and ever? Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, that might be a factor, but I even think 
there's still ways to do it. And maybe you have a, a way to buy somebody out if they want to leave earlier than you want to sell it. So I, I still think there's ways to do it. Thanks for explaining that reasoning. And I do think it encompasses a lot of sort of like myth busting, even though obviously yeah. like in any case, if the lion's share stays with the family, for instance, that would still not be a problem. But there's a fear associated, obviously loss of control, et cetera, that comes sure. with, with that notion. And uh, apparently things that you guys have been able to bypass psychologically and now you get to reap the benefits. But just like in terms of growth that you talk about over the last sort of four or five years, if I understand it correctly, Obviously, I believe that the actual market awareness around healthy food has favored Mm -hmm. this, I imagine. You guys were pioneers, but there has been a greater awareness around the subject. How has that benefited you guys and how have you taken advantage of it? I think it's benefited us hugely, to be honest. I really do. I think it's the education. We had a really good product and it tasted really good. So even if you weren't into whole grains, you know, a lot of people really loved Kodiak cakes. Mm -hmm. Why that wasn't quite enough to get us to really, really grow and really start to revolutionize the category. Taste wasn't enough because our product was expensive. Mm -hmm. You know, healthier products cost more. The education piece or the awareness piece of, of healthier eating has, I think, been what has really driven us. Because now, once you really understand the why you should eat healthier, once you really understand that, then you're willing to pay more. But what I think has driven the education is social media. It was slow change for, for many, many years. And would we have still gotten there as a market? Would, would people have still learned it? I think so. Mm-hmm. I just think it would have taken longer because mm-hmm. how do you get the message out quickly about healthy this or healthy that? So for example, I have two teenage daughters. They're both on social media and they're way into fitness and they follow like different food Instagrams or, or different fitness Instagrams. And they're constantly reading about different food trends or why you should eat whole grains or, you know, different healthy eating articles. They read them all the time. And I'm like, holy cow, they are so educated. I mean, Mm -hmm. I grew up in a home where we ate a lot of healthy foods, but I wasn't even as educated. I didn't understand the why quite as well as they understand the why. And so I just think it's incredible. The amount of information, that's, I think, the driver, the key driver of this whole food revolution, in my opinion. I have, a, I have a last question and I promise I'll let you get back to what I'm sure is a very busy schedule. Because of the way you're structured today and because of your role transition, do you think about your own future and the future of the company as one? Or have you started also thinking about your own future beyond Kodiak Cakes? You know, after yeah. all of these years of pancakes and all we did, like how do, you, how do you think about the future and do you separate the two in terms of your personal career motivations and the company? I do think about them different at times because I do want Kodiak Cakes to be around. We're trying to build this company to be here for 30, 50 years. We want to build a brand that can last. And do I have, even call it, you know, I'm 44. So in 20 years, I'll be, you know, 64. Do I have the stamina to keep going even that long? I, I don't know. So, you know, back to your question about like scaling with a business and an entrepreneur and what you have to go through to scale with it. There will come a point where I will max out. I just will. I think, could I do it if I really, really wanted to? I think I could. I think I could keep scaling. I figured out how to scale and I think I could keep doing it. I think I know what it takes. But there also comes a point where I just look at myself and I'm like, man, do I even have the mental ability to do that? Like, is that really what I want to do? So I I, I think I will come to that crossroads in the next couple of years or whatever. But right now it's pretty fun. And I think what keeps me really engaged right now. And as I think about myself, where there is a big correlation is with the people here. You know, my, my goal really is to, how, how do we get the best outcome for everybody who's here on this team? Like that's my, my favorite part of my job right now 
is helping people have experiences and opportunities in their careers and watching them grow and develop and just having a, you know, a, a, an impact on that. I think that's incredibly fun. And that's what gets me out of bed right now. If I ever did leave Kodiak Cakes, the hardest part would be because I'm leaving people who have given their, you know, everything for me and for this company. And so I feel an incredible amount of loyalty for this team and the people here. If I can just get to a place where I feel like, all right, these guys are, these guys are good. They're taken care of. Then I'll feel happier about when that day might come when I would leave. Joel, on a personal note, I think you're going to help a lot of people. I think you, you know, we underestimate how much our own thought process can actually help another entrepreneur. Yeah. Thank you so much, Joel. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes. 